we have the last two campaigns for our celebration. We've looked at 1 Samuel 29, the largest offering ever taken in history, the largest offering. Uh, and it was taken by a guy named David. And uh, in chapter 1, or rather 29, the first nine verses, let me just give you a little summary uh, of the offering for God. Uh, 110 metric tons of gold. I said 110 tons. Some of you are clamoring to get an ounce. They gave tons of gold. Uh, gave 260 tons of silver. Then, that was David. Then the leaders gave 190 tons of gold. They gave 10,000 derricks of gold, which was 185 pounds. 10,000 derricks of silver, 375 tons. 18,000 talents of bronze, that's 675 tons. 100,000 talents of iron, that's 3,750 tons, ton. You just multiply that by 2,000. Uh, the largest one offering ever given in history. And first of all, this was the largest offering any one person's ever given. And God said, and you'll never see it, and you'll never worship in it one time, David. Because you're a bloody man. You've been a warrior. And I don't want you to build me a house of worship. Can you imagine? I can't. You mean I won't get to see it? Uh, I don't get to go to it? Uh, no. So what should he do? Pout? I'm out? No. If you read the narrative in 28 and 29, he, the Holy Spirit, it said, gave him the plans for how to build Solomon's temple, and he wrote it down, so he told Solomon, here's a set of plans, as it were, that the Holy Spirit gave me. Here are the plans. I won't be the man that gets to build it. And two, I'm going to raise the money for it, starting with me. Let me ask you this. How enthused could you be to build something you'd never get to occupy? You talk about investing for the future. The greatest place of worship that Israel ever knew was built and paid for by a man that God says, you can't build it, and I won't let you see it, and I won't let you occupy it because you, uh, you killed Philistines, you killed men, you fought. And I want to say, well, come on, Lord, who's going to handle the enemy? Solomon, Mr. Golden Boy, he never carried a sword. He didn't know what it was. He'd run from a Philistine. It was his old daddy that fought the Philistines. So history goes. But it shows you the greatness of David. Whether I get to build it, whether I get to occupy it, I want my son, my grandchildren to know there's a God in Israel, and I'll give them my wealth. I'll give the plans. I'll do everything I can to do something that I won't even be there to celebrate. What a great heart. What a great heart. I just want to pick up three things because I really want to, the sermon is praise is what I want to look at. So it gives thanks to God in the first nine verses that you made both me and the leaders willing. 
We've given to you out of what you gave to us. We give you thanks. And then he picks up in verse 10, thanks for who his God is. And he begins, praise is always caught up in the adoration of what God has done and who God is. His intrinsic worth and his activity. And listen to what he says. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Did you hear that? All the gold and silver, he said to Haggai, it's mine and the cattle on the hills. I own it all. I remember one of our, one of the Fernandes boys who's working for Chevron Refinery. He was out there and just kind of like a, a laborer, whatever, but he's working out there. And one day, a wonderful Christian young man, and the guy got to talking to him. He said, hey, my father owns this place. And the guy said, he owns it. What are you doing on the labor crew? He said, oh, I, I just work, but my dad owns it. And the guy said, man, I wouldn't be working out here if my dad, who is your, who is your dad? God. Ain't too bad, is it? Do you have a God that owns anything or is he broke? Our God happens to be uh, well off. I own it all. You can't even count all the stars. I made them, I own them, and I burn them up, and I reignite them when I want. I own it. I own this universe. I'll burn it up when I want to. I move it. I shake it when I want to. I make volcanoes erupt. I make earth shake when I want. I'm in charge. This is my real estate. If you don't like my world, make one of your own. This is God's world. This is God's real estate. We're just aliens and we're renters. We don't own it. We're just, we're just occupying space that he belongs to him, even the atheist. He can't even breathe if God doesn't give him breath. He owns it all, all of it, even all the spirit beings in the air. He owns the demons. He owns Satan. He made him. Satan's insane. He's got us duped, but he doesn't have God duped. He knows who the boss is. Do you? Oh, Lord, you, you are exalted as head above all. Now watch this. Both riches and honor come from Bank of America. Where do they come from? Well, my inheritance. Well, my, you know, I've been good at investing. One man said, well, I built a company. Mm, God said riches and honor come from you. Now, now wait, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. Listen to me. The man that is writing this was such a scrubby boy and so insignificant that his own father wouldn't call him to the lineup to go before Samuel. When Samuel came down and said, God sent me on business, Jesse, do you have any boys? Yeah, I do. Lines up the boys, and he's going, he's waiting for God to just say, which one? And not, not that one. He's got the vial of oil. Not that one. Not that one. 
Not that one. Not that one. Sam, is it God sent me on a mission, Jesse? He said, you had a boy down here. I'm supposed to be anointing. I hadn't seen any. What's, what's going on? Well, I've, I've got one that's not good for anything but taking care of some scraggly sheep over here. We, we wouldn't dare even call him to the lineup. God wouldn't have anything for this boy. He's too far down the line. Now, this is David saying, are you aware that I just gave 180 tons of gold? This is the shepherd boy that his daddy didn't call to the lineup. I'm the boy that's been living in caves for nearly 10 years, hiding from Saul. I'm the boy that went down to Gath, the home of the Philistines, and I had to slobber on the city wall and act like I was insane to keep the king of Gath from killing me. I've been chased like a flea, hunted like a dog, slept in caves, run from Saul, dodged spears. I gave this gift. This is who gave. I came from nothing. Everything I've got. I dodged the spears. Saul couldn't kill me. Goliath couldn't kill me. My brothers despised me. My daddy didn't think I was worth calling to a lineup. And God let me give this gift. Where has God brought you from? My black brother says he brought me from a mighty long way, and he has. Have you forgot it? Or do you say, God, I want to give you something for all the caves I've hid out in life and all the spears I've dodged? You've made me overcome my enemies so I could build you a place for worship. Imagine. I think of Edwin. Gangs, drugs, womanizer, going to hell. His father takes his own life. Nothing but pain, shame, pain, shame. And God said, boy, I'm going to save you. I'm going to change you. I want to save your marriage. I'm going to save your children. And now I wouldn't want to give to this God. You don't know him if you don't want to give to him. Oh, no. It's, it's incongruous to be stingy with the God that you know saved you. Be stingy with yourself, but not with your God. If you want to pinch pennies, pinch all you want, honey. But don't be tight with your God, the Savior, who's made all the difference. Well, I'm beginning to feel it if I just keep going. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength. Now look at his humility. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and we've only given you what you've given us. Verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered these things. And he goes on, how great, how wonderful. And then he concludes it in verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, we would say, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, bowed their heads, and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. I'd just like to say a few things in the close about praising God. I'm going to just give you the basic Hebrew word for praise. We get hallel 
they had the Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. The Hallel Psalms were the Psalms that the Jews recited as they went up to Jerusalem, and it was repeating their deliverance from Egypt. And the Hallel, it was to lift up to praise. It was used of a fool in the wisdom literature that he had an overestimated view of himself. A fool thinks he's better than he is. And so they had an inflated ego, we would say. But when it was used of God, it was to lift up. And, and let me give you the Hebrew words for uh, what it meant. It meant to make a show of, to, when you praise something, to make a show of, to boast. It was used of the fool who boasted of gifts he didn't have, but it was to boast in another. This word ideally was done in the corporate gatherings of Israel. To boast about your God when you gather together. That seems a little strange. It, it, it was translated to celebrate or to rave about. Amazing. To rave about God. Now, now get this picture. Here's tiny little Israel. Let's say in biblical times, how many million people? Two, three million? I don't know. The Exodus, they guessed two million people came out of Egypt. So maybe, maybe, I'm guessing, maybe that we got five million people in that little strip of land. And they're the only monotheistic people in the world at this time. The only ones who believe in one God. They're surrounded with not atheists, but polytheists. Many, many, many gods, all competing for the heart and affections of Israel. And sadly, they finally won Israel. The prophets of Baal won. Asheroth won. Moloch won. And God said, I'm taking you to Babylon because you picked other gods. Israel fell over picking another god. Can you believe it? It's like some of us have failed. What are we competing with today? All the gods that want your attention. And those gods are sex, pleasure, money, everything in this culture, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Uh, everything is competing for your heart. And so God said, little Israel, when you gather together as a people, I want you to brag and boast about the God who brought you out of Egypt that these other gods didn't get you out of Egypt. These other gods didn't roll back the Red Sea. These other gods didn't feed you for 40 years in the wilderness. These other gods didn't make a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These other gods won't bring you a Messiah. I am the one and only God. I am a great God, and I deserve to be greatly bragged on, boasted in, celebrated. Why don't you let your children, when you come together, hear you say, our God is the one God, the true God. That's why quiet worship bothers me. You can get loud about everything. Loud about a stock market, loud about the warriors, loud about this, and become mutes when you go to church. Because God might get disturbed. No, it's you that gets disturbed. Let the rocks praise me. Let the symbol praise me. Let everything that has breath 
Praise the Lord. Everything, everything. Praise the Lord. What? Why start restraining? Why are some of you frozen at the mouth when it comes to praise? You know what? I have people that says, I came to hear the word. I want to ask, did you come to praise God? Whoa. I, I told God today, I'm not going to preach, but I feel like it now because I can run around this building. Because God deserves, well, I'm sick of preaching that isn't worship. I'm sick of singing that's not worship. I'm sick of saints putting in time that you didn't worship. You put in your time because God's become a duty and not a delight. He's duty. I, so I put in my time. I put in my offering. You know, it's kind of like this. My anniversary comes up next week. Been a long time. I'm not going there. But, uh, you know, I could do it this way. Next Friday, 50 years we've been married. 50 years. And so, what I'm going to do, like this, I'll go up to Carolyn. There's a dozen red roses. I've done my duty. Well, I did. What would it mean to her? I did my duty. I gave my offering. I'm here, aren't I? I did attend. Yeah, you did. But did you come because God's your delight? See, what would mean something? I said, honey, the roses will fade, but beauty like you've given me never fades. Mm. You're not a strain to be good to because God let you win my heart. You're a virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. Jesus was written all over your face when I saw you at 16, and it's never gone away. Honey, now, friend, you don't do that out of duty. You do that out of delight. And Jesus said, I know there's a lot of lip service at the temple. They draw nigh with lips, but their heart's not in it. You sing songs, but you know, you know why you don't sing Amazing Grace? You don't really believe you needed grace that much because you're pretty good. Do you remember? I remember when I first got saved, I thought Amazing Grace had just been written. I didn't know a drunk sailor wrote it, a womanizing man that raped slaves on the way to the Caribbean. I've read his biography. I know what he did. He picked the slave women as they were going on the, the middle journey crossing the Atlantic and he raped them on the way over, treated them like animals. Many a slave jumped off the ship to escape him. All my African brothers and sisters, they got to thank God for the ancestors that didn't jump off the ship. They stayed alive long enough, though sleeping in the excrement and the feces on the ship, that they made it to this land and God saved them. But, but this John Newton by the time he tied himself to the masthead in a storm in the Atlantic, and God saved him. And then he became a pastor and influenced Wilberforce to end slavery in England. He wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a nice boy like a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Twas blind, but now I see. Praise. You see, you praise what you prize. See, everybody 
praise. Uh, God doesn't want to just be said, God, you're a big God. I just love theology. Uh, you're omnipotent, omnipresent. And you, okay, you've got all that nice doctrine. Well, well, good, 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 good. That's wonderful. You need to know that. Then I think what gets God is when you've come to love and your greatest pleasure is God. That's called praise. You see, when you prize something, you can't keep your mouth shut about it. That's why people wear you out showing you grandchildren pictures. And everyone's a genius. And everyone is immaculate. And I've seen some pictures. I had to ask God to forgive me because I said, yeah, they're really cute. Well, it was really a strain. <laughs> it's a real strain. But why, why do people just look at them? That, that one. And I, I've got a reputation, and I'm bad about it. I'll call my brother Paul, my friends. They all razz me about it. Uh, if I, I like to listen to a lot of music, they come over. I used to just play them 10 songs before we visit. Hey, you got to hear this. What, what? Now, if I got one that said, so what? I, I would say, well, I'm not asking you over anymore. <laughs> you want them to enjoy what you're enjoying. You prize it. And God said, I want my people to shout it out in their congregation because praise was primarily corporate worship. Because when you praise someone, let's say you go out in the field, you just say, God, you're wonderful. You're great. And that, that, that's wonderful. That's vertical between you and God. But praise was always meant to be heard by somebody else because, you see, you're bragging on God, telling how great he is. Well, who are you telling it to? He already knows it. But you're bringing your children to the corporate meeting surrounded by all these pagan idol worshipers that hate this God, denies the true God, don't say he's the creator. They don't buy anything going on in Israel. And you know what? The world doesn't buy anything going on here today. They're bowing to other gods. And they think we're Elmer Gantries and thieves because we can talk about money and be hilarious about it. You don't, talk, you don't mind anybody talking to you about money but people and church. No, no. We're, I'm giving to a great God that brought me from nothing. This is no strain. This is, no, this is a privilege that God would make you and I partners with him in his program. So what we want to really do today is celebrate. And, and I, I have to say, uh, uh, I, I've learned to be quieter. I'm in a conservative church. But, oh, I love the folks I'm meeting with. Well, when you came into our meetings, they were small. We never had these big buildings that we were. Uh, boy, but the, the walls would resonate the way we'd sing. You know what we do now? We pay people to sing to us. Sing to me. What do you mean sing to me? Yeah, B because most congregations don't sing much anymore. The young people do. They jump up a lot. They wear Levi's and beat guitar. Didn't our youth ba band do great? Man, I, I love that. But, but really, a lot of churches, they, uh, they, they've lost hymns. They don't sing new stuff. But, and I just see meetings. I tell Deborah, and I'm glad. I try to brainwash her. And uh, uh, if you're gray-headed, I, I, I'm almost gray. I'm telling her, this is what it is. I want to sing. You can't sing for me. You can't sing for me. You can't worship for me. 
I wish you helped me preach better. If I just had a church that would pray for me, I'd get longer, I'd, I'd get better. <laughs> but you know what? This, the reason I always fly back to this church for 44 years, there's no place I've had more joy preaching than when I'm with you. With you. Because you love the Word, and you have fanned this poor man through surgeries, through heartaches. You've stood with me through 44 years of life's journey. We're going to praise him today. I want to know, uh, are you prizing this God? How much praise? Is praise a part of your life? You know what? I think everything in my life is to snuff out praise. You know, as being a leader, I hear everybody's complaint eventually. What you don't like about Valley. What you don't like about this. What you don't. I, I'm just waiting for you someday to say, tell me what you like about God. What do you like about God? Have you found anything wrong with him? Why don't you talk about him? Why don't you quit talking about your navel? Why don't you, why don't you lay off your neighbor? Lay off your neighbor. They're as flawed as you. I said they're as flawed as you. And if you don't think you're flawed, ask your wife. This isn't the first congregation of the perfect. It's the redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. Sinners saved by grace. I want to thank you, dear precious people, for once again committing over and beyond. We haven't reached, you'll hear the figure from Larry. We didn't reach five million, but some of you haven't turned in your card yet. And... Uh, it's the idea of the spirit that's been among the people. Some say, well, we sh I've heard enough on the, well, we do this every three years. We're sorry you hear four, four sermons every three years on it, but I'm not sorry. If God's not afraid to talk about it, why are you? Some of you always want to talk about another Bible study. Wait, a, wait let's do this book. Let, by, by the way, are, are you doing, are you up to date on praise? See, praise, it's what I loved about my father. He went to church. He always sat on the second pew, second pew. And he sang louder than anybody else. He'd sing right over there. Steve Fernandez would be next to him. Larry would be close to him. And then there'd be Frankie Griffith, those three. You see, my dad could sing above everybody. If you knew Steve Fernandez, when you went to community, you could hear him above everybody. And he really wasn't a soloist, but he's going to be heard. <laughs> you know why? Because he, I mean, he, uh, the gurgler vein, I mean, juggler, would just be popping. <laughs> like that. One day I went to a restaurant with him. I asked him, Stephen, why do you sing that hard and strong? I could hear you above everybody. I like to sing, but you're like hemorrhaging when you sing. <laughs> what is it? And he started talking to me at Applebee's in Vallejo, and he broke down crying. He said, I grew up as a Roman Catholic boy at St. Joseph's. I buried my dad without hope on a dismal day. I went down to that hall. And your dad's the first man I ever saw that I thought he was singing into the third heaven. I'd never seen anybody do that in my life. He said, he, it was like, 
up here. I'm singing to the one on the throne. I'm I'm singing up here. Uh, He's in the place. Isn't God the audience? Not you. You're not the audience. You ought to be the actors. You ought to be the choir. He's the audience. Who are you singing to? Don't sing to me. I'm not singing for you. I'm not even preaching for you. I hope you can understand me. I really do think God's here, and he's going to talk to me a little bit later about what I said. Every Monday, he and I talk over what I said on Sunday. I said, Lord, I, I didn't mean to cuss, but uh, no, I didn't mean to be that carried away. I talk it over every Monday. I get with, with God. I lay down the sermon and say, now, I told you I'd show up and we'd discuss what I said. Because he's the audience today. God is the audience. He knows if you've worshipped. Have you worshipped today? Or, or have you put in your time? It, maybe we, we get a time clock at the back and just have you punch it. 40 minutes for God. Now let's go home and watch guys play ball all day. Is God a duty or a delight? Well, we want to tell you he's a delight, and I can't wait. At his right hand is pleasures forevermore, and I'm headed for his right hand. I can't wait to finish this life to fly right to his right hand and say, all right, I've tasted that the Lord is good, and he tastes like honey. I want more. We're going home, and the rest of the service, we're going to celebrate. And I wish some of you would sign up now. Quit, quit giving him lip service. He knows your heart's not in it. Quit lying. That's a hypocrite. If you don't believe it, if he's not good, if he's not wonderful, if you don't mean it, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be. Just keep your mouth shut. What you need is a divine repentance contrition time on your knees where you and him get things worked out. That's why so many churches are quieter. You know why? They come to church with so much sin they've never dealt with. They're mad at somebody. They've got out with somebody. They've been looking at pornography. They've been fighting with the wife. They've been lusting. They've been having road rage. They've been having, and they've never dealt with all the sin. And so you come to church and say, let's worship. Worship. If you knew how dirty and guilty I feel, you wouldn't dare ask me to worship. Why don't you get clean before you come to the congregation? And then we can sing as cleansed sinners and say, I'm clean, I'm clean.